Welcome to the Bonhoeffer Podcast, a podcast about the life, theology, and practice of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I'm your host, Corey Tuttle. And my guest today is Dr. Josh DeKaiser. Dr. DeKaiser holds a PhD in systematic theology from Luther Seminary and is the author of Bonhoeffer's Theology of the Cross. Dr. DeKaiser, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me, Corey. It's a privilege. <laughs> yeah, pl- pleasure's all mine. I'm, I've been really looking forward to this for a while. Uh, so how we normally do this um, for every episode is sort of a get-to-know-you section uh, before we jump into your work, and then we can jump into uh, your book, Bonhoeffer's Theology of the Cross. Uh, so I guess I'll start off with sort of the, the get-to-know-you question. Uh, how did you discover Bonhoeffer? Um, I just, Well, I remember that on uh, my parents' bookshelf when I was a teenager, I discovered a book by some German guy who... Um, languished in prison during the Second World War. Never picked up the book, never did anything with it. But that was the first time I um, heard the name, or saw the name Bonhoeffer. Of course, then it was Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, (laughs) because I'm I'm from the Netherlands. And it was only later that I realized that there were a lot of people who pronounced his name Bonhoeffer, and that there was a very lively community in the United States. that uh, studied his work. So um, it's sort of a midlife thing. Um, I was working for an advertising agency, then got super bored with being creative all the time for commercial purposes. Um, um, Then I applied at a uh, seminary in the Midwest, in the Twin Cities, Um, got in and at this evangelical seminary um, there was um, uh, one of the, one of the professors, Joel Lawrence, is a, a Bonhoeffer scholar himself, and he did uh, a class on Bonhoeffer, which I didn't take, but I audited it, <clears throat> and um, yes, something stuck with me um, about Bonhoeffer, and something I found something very attractive. Um, due to personal circumstances, when I finished my MA, uh, I had already applied for a PhD in the same city at Luther Seminary. And Luther Seminary being much more liberal from a from a conservative evangelical standpoint, that is, um, uh, brought some challenges for me. And I, I picked a guy that I knew that was popular at Luther Seminary as well. Um, and that could somehow bridge for me the two different, the vastly different worlds of a conservative evangelical school and a more liberal mainstream Lutheran uh, seminary. So I went with Bonhoeffer and it was only really over there after making a decision to do my research on him that I got to know him very well. We, we talked before this about, uh, about your kind of love for acting being. What, uh, what led you to decide your dissertation topic? Well, that's an interesting question, um, it, and it's you're going to laugh here, I think. Um, I originally went to the United States to study theology, well, actually to study apologetics, evangelical Christian apologetics, to defend the faith with rational, by rational means. Mm-hmm. And one of the um, forms or schools of apologetics uh, way back from the 60s was something called propositional, propositional apologetics. Not many people have heard of it. Um, and I was not really interested in propositional apologetics, but when I read Act and Being, there were certain affinities 
And so it piqued my interest because what I realized Bonhoeffer was doing in Acton Being is he picked all the major philosophical and theological schools and one by one he deconstructed them and pointed out what was wrong and what didn't work there. Um, and it was always by way of an argument that led back to the person of Christ. Hmm. And so I found it super intriguing. And so that became my book. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I imagine that there are other people listening to this right now that just with me went, oh, that's what he's saying. <laughs> that's what Bonhoeffer is talking about and doing. Um, yeah, I, I mentioned this before, uh, but... I, the most feedback I receive for any episodes have always been any any guests that speak on active being, and it's just from people saying, "Oh, finally, I can understand it a little bit better." Uh, so, so I've been really looking forward to this for a while to to kind of uh, get further into active being, so we can understand it a bit more. But uh, your book's called Bonhoeffer's Theology of the Cross, so I guess I'll just start with a pretty simple question. <laughs> I guess it's not that simple because you spent a whole book working it out. But what is a theology of the cross? Yeah, a theology of the cross, that is actually a really difficult question. And it's a difficult question because uh, the term theology of the cross uh, refers to Luther's original theology. Um, he never really uses that term much, if at all. And if he does, it's often uh, that he talks about a theologian of the cross. Mm -hmm. uh, that's one thing. And then there is a retrieval of Luther in the 20th century in Germany, it's the Luther Renaissance under Karl Hall, and Bonhoeffer was actually more or less part of that. He was involved with that to some extent. And um, so then there is all of a sudden again the theology of the cross, but now it's retrieved for the 20th century uh, with a sort of post liberal tendencies, uh, critical of German uh, liberalism. And it, so there's, there's two different things. And um, so there is not one theology of the cross. There are many theologies of the cross, and mm. the theologies of Pannenberg, uh, Moltmann, Tillich, even uh, or John Hall. I think is his name John Hall in in Canada. Uh, are all theologies of the cross? Bonhoeffer's theology is a theology of the cross, and yet all these people disagree wholeheartedly with one another. Bar Karl Barth's theology is, uh, um, according to his own claim in his church dogmatics, a theology of the cross. Mm -hmm. um, but it's probably best to go, to go. so there's always that, that, um, uh, that dialectic going on, is it Luther or is it the 20th century? Mm -hmm. And so it's very hard to give a definition. Uh, so let me first go back to Luther. Luther, um, of course, did two things. He uh, rebelled against uh, the medieval church, because the medieval church had sort of uh, put the Christian faith into a, a mold that suffocated it. Secondly, he made his major discovery of uh, justification by faith. Um, and so if we describe Luther, Luther's theology of the cross, we need to see it in uh, opposition to scholastic theology and the medieval church. And uh, But the funny thing is with that Luther's theology continues to be relevant. Um, from my own evangelical perspective, by the way, I was always brought up with this idea, like, hey, yeah, sure, Luther set the whole thing in motion, but it was Calvin who really got the theology right. And uh, if it wasn't for Calvin, no, no Reformation, real, that kind of feeling. Mm -hmm. I know that's a character all in itself. 
but it's a gross gross misunderstanding of who Luther is and how sophisticated his, his theology is. And I would say, I'm just looking at my notes here because you have to pen these things down. Um, so, so Luther um, struggled against a medieval, uh, a medieval church, and it had inscribed his Aristotelian ethics into salvation, mm-hmm. meaning that by good works, by becoming virtuous, by training yourself to be virtuous, you ascend on the skill toward heaven. And uh, you do what is what is what you're able to do from your side. Um, the medieval church had also used a sort of Neoplatonic understanding that was reworked and reworked, but a, a Neoplatonic understanding of revelation um, in in such a way that revelation and human power went hand in hand. So you had the Pope, who was the direct representative of Christ, and the Pope ruled the church. Uh, in a pyramidical scheme, and basically the Pope was the boss of the whole Christian world. Mm-hmm. That was the the ideal that uh, they went for. So, um, for Luther had to reject all of that, Ian, and he rejected it as a philosopher, as a theologian, and he also rejected it practically. Um, and that's why he talks about being a theologian of the cross rather than a theology of the cross because it is uh, utterly self-involving. Um, and the theology of the cross has two main features. Um, it, you, you can, again, you have to be a theologian of the cross rather than do a theology of the cross, because uh, it is self-involving. Mm-hmm. You can only do theology of the cross right when it touches you, when it transforms you, when you become part of the process. When you're taken up in it's both its negative and its positive uh, movements and um, the theology of the cross uh, both has a deconstructive part and a reconstructive part and that is uh, how where you have to structure uh, justification by faith so we all we often think Luther that's justification by faith yes but mm-hmm. the justification by faith is structured within a wider theological framework that is called theology of the cross and so uh, it has two features it has a soteriological feature or a self salvation feature and it has a methodological feature so first uh, the, the soteriology or salvation negatively it means you cannot do anything until your salvation there is nothing you can do to get right with God so mm-hmm. don't try to get your conscience right because it won't work so how do you become just before God? We all know it as, as, as Christians in the Protestant tradition. It is justification by faith alone. It is through Christ alone. And there is no other way. But what is often forgotten is that it also has a methodological feature, this theology of the cross. And for Luther, human systemizations of God or attempts to graft God into a human framework of thinking, that is part of the problem that's not just a little bit part of the problem that is in itself salvation by works and it is kind of a domestication of god mm-hmm. uh, just oh um you know there's all these things in the medieval period um where they are selling oh, i forgot the word they were selling indulgences indulgences yes i had the dutch word in my mind coming up <laughs> um, selling indulgences you know, on the authority of God. And so that was like mastering God. That is like domesticating God. Um, 
and and what does Luther say? No, there is. You need to look at the God who's truly revealed. That is Christ crucified, the physical presence of Christ. That is the God. Hmm. And Luther makes a distinction between the hidden God and the revealed God. And he says about the hidden God, don't talk about it too much, because that's a dark abyss we don't know anything about. But the revealed God, Christ, among us, we can talk about that. Hmm. That's great. Yeah. So you lay out your book uh, kind of right at the very beginning. You you say that uh, Bonhoeffer is sort of mirroring the format, at least, of Karl Barth's Fate and Idea. Um, could you tell us a little bit about Barth's Fate and Idea? What it, What is it? Uh, kind of what's the argument? And then, I guess, how it relates to the argument of acting being? Yeah. So there was some kind of conference in, I believe, the late 20s where Bart gave a, uh, gave a few lectures that were later published um, as fate and idea. Well, in German, of course, and then it's Schicksal und Idee, well, whatever. Uh, <laughs> fate and idea. And um, the, the, it's not many people uh, who read Bart know about that uh, little book. It's a small book. But in it, he basically lays out the program for what he's going to do with his church dogmatics. He's sort of explaining the foundation of his dialectical method, or what will become his dialectical method. And Bard in it looks at Western thought, and he says there are two types of Western thought. You have those philosophers um, uh, who will say, well, we need to look at and understand the world from the givenness of the world, just as it is. It, it's we need, to, and it, that's also realism, mm-hmm. or uh, fate, mm-hmm. the givenness as it is, as it has been handed to us. We need to understand the world in, comprehensively in its givenness. And then there's another form of thought that is very prominent, especially with. So the first one, to make it more uh, uh, understandable, would be Aquinas, uh, Aquinas realism, um, people who sort of comprehensively. Uh, understand and explain the world for us. And then Aquinas, of course, was a both philosopher and a theologian. Um, then this other type of thinking is idee or idea or idealism. And that's the other mode. The other mode tries to understand the world from the self and demarcates the line between itself and the rest of the world, the other or the transcendent other, God. And it tries to delimit what the self can know, kind of. Mm-hmm. And it's very hard to understand the two types of thinking when you read it. And by the way, the same when you read Act and Being, it's also very hard to understand. So what is actually actually the difference here between this thinker or that thinker, or this type of thinking and that type of thinking? But you need to understand both Barth uh, and, and Bonhoeffer then um, work within the German tradition, and they talk about the people that all the philosophers and theologians would know. Uh, and for us, 21st century people in well, North America, your audience, but even in, in the Netherlands, it's like we scratch our heads and we think, so what exactly is the difference here? Mm-hmm. But anyway, so you have two types of thinking, realism and idealism. And um, the world as a whole versus the world thought from the self and delimiting the self and what the self can know. And, um, and those are, he says, and those are the only two approaches. It doesn't matter who you take. 
in Western thought, in Western history, you always find that they fall on either on one or the other side. And then he says, but theology, well, it won't have to do anything with either of them because theology deals with what is with the word of God and the word of God stands above everything and um, we'll have none of it. But then he sort of uh, takes a step back and he says, well, you know, the word of God, the word of God, but even we as theologians, we are left to ourselves. We have to interpret the word of God and interpreting the word of God, we are left to our own devices. Mm-hmm. And being left to our own devices as human beings, we also tend to then fall into these categories of realism or idealism. And then he says, so we have to reject both, but we can't avoid both. And given that, it's probably best to go with idealism, um, because that is kind of what Luther did. And that's the theology of the cross. And that's the only way we should we should proceed. And mm-hmm. then the lectures are finished. <laughs> awesome. Uh, so, yeah, so how are we doing? Is it, is it clear enough for you? Or is it uh, still nerdy? It's nerdy, I know. But <laughs> no, no, it's good. That's not my fault. That's Bonhoeffer's. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's, it seems to make sense. So uh, Bart is saying that we're starting with the word of God and kind of putting idealism and sort of understanding the world from uh, our full experience of everything that we encounter versus there's limits to the things we can know and, and idealism, transcendence, things like that. And Bart's yeah. like, no, we're not starting from either of those. We're starting with the word of God. Yeah. But then he's also saying, but you can't avoid doing it like the philosophers. So yeah. then we will go with idealism. <laughs> and he, he really means Kant. So yeah. Bart is a theological realist, meaning God is real. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's also a Kantian thinker. Mm-hmm. And so Kant, basically completely eradicated God from um, from human knowledge. Um, and it's almost as if Bar says, correct. And so is beyond where you leave off Kant, that's where I'm picking up. Got it. It's, yeah. it's, yeah, it's pretty much that's what's happening there. Yeah. Awesome. That's great. So how does how does the argument of acting being relate to to this kind of setup between fate and fate and idea? Yeah. Uh, well, it seems as if Bonhoeffer is following the same pattern, mm-hmm. and uh, nobody pointed me to this. And um, I was kind of reading a uh, fate and uh, idea as a, a sort of afterthought. Like, well, yeah, I, it's being referred to a couple times. I should read it. So I started reading it, and midway through the book, I realized, oh, my goodness, <laughs> this is the same that Bonhoeffer is doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I started comparing the two a little more, and I came to startling conclusions. So Bonhoeffer follows exactly the same pattern, um, except he starts with the idealism approaches. And Bonhoeffer has different names for him, so he calls them act and being. Mm-hmm. Instead of uh, fate, he has being, and instead of idea, he has act. Mm-hmm. But they amount to the same thing. What is even worse, sort of halfway to Bart's uh, lectures, Bart himself uses the terms act and being in order to refer to uh, the terms that he is uh, using. So, yeah, it's it's really amazing. And then um, what is very interesting, and it gives you an idea of where 
uh, Bonhoeffer differs from Bart. Bart's argument is that, well, if you have to then make make a choice, which I really dislike doing, but I can't help it because I'm just a human being, and I can only use my human faculties to um, to interpret the Word of God, then I will fall on the side of idealism because that's what Luther is doing. That's what the theology of the cross is. Mm-hmm. And Bonhoeffer takes a radically different road. Of course, he doesn't say. I'm deviating from what's happening in, act, in in faith and idea. He just does his own argument, but there's, it's almost like unavoidable that whatever happens in faith and idea was going on in his own mind. So he takes a different approach and he says, no, actually, if you want to uh, indeed um, uh, make it, if you have to make a choice, and, and yeah, you kind of have to, then I will go for being. Uh, because that is actually where Luther is, and he doesn't say that's the theology of the cross. Bonhoeffer doesn't say that, uh, because probably because the term wasn't that popular yet. Mm-hmm. But Bonhoeffer refers profusely to Luther, and it is clear that Bonhoeffer is trying to make the claim that his that all the corrections he brings to Bart, but also other thinkers, all have to do with his new and correcter, more correct understanding of Luther. <laughs> So basically, Bonhoeffer is saying, no, actually, you have to go with being, and you don't keep the two apart, but you have to coordinate the two. So you're not going to do dialectical theology. That's not your method, but you're going you're going to coordinate. And then you do not have a theology as a theological method, but you're going to have a self-involving praxis, just like Luther with his theology of the cross. Hmm. And I'll stop there because then you can ask the next question and we'll slowly get there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's so interesting. I'm sort of just piecing all these things together in my mind from my memory of reading Act and Being and then reading your book and sort of just saying, like, okay, well, <laughs> these things are lining up a, a little bit. It, it always helps to talk to the author, especially about Act and Being books, because I find that like just a verbal processor, I guess, I catch on a little bit quicker um, when we're able to talk about it. So thank you. Um, and this is more of a, a selfish endeavor, this uh, this next question. Um, so I'm writing on Bonhoeffer on autonomy. And two episodes ago, I had Jacob Phillips on the podcast. And we were talking about um, actus directus and actus reflexus, which are two terms mm-hmm. that are used in acting being. He used them to relate acting being to d- discipleship, specifically in actus directus, as yeah. looking out only to Christ. I, so I really thought, okay, I understand this. So after reading his book and after talk, speaking with him, and then as I'm working on my thesis, I come across a passage in uh, volume 12 of the of the Bonhoeffer works that uh, kind of stumps me. And I'm thinking, okay, well, how does this relate to the other one? So I guess I'll just ask you. Um, so this is my understanding of actus directus and actus reflexus, and hopefully you can kind of correct me wherever you can. Um, so... From my understanding, it's a revelation. God reveals himself to the person. Um, Axis reflexus would be a, a person looking inward in self-reflection and kind of affirming whether or not they believe. Something like that. And then uh, actus, yeah. refle- actus directus uh, says the opposite. It says, don't look at yourself. Just focus on the reveal of God in Christ. Am I tracking? You're, you're, you're tracking. And... So the the issues or the way, so what you're saying, and this the whole issue of actus directus and actus reflexes ties in to the very heart of the theology of the cross, the very heart of Luther's and Bonhoeffer's theology, 
And maybe the best way for me to explain it is to bring bring in Bart again. Mm-hmm. So when when Bonhoeffer looks at Bart's theology, he basically says about Bart, "Look, you want to do justice to the otherness of God by making a demarcate drawing a demarcation line between the self and a transcendent God." Mm-hmm. But let me ask you, Bart. Who is in charge of the demarcation line? Mm-hmm. You, right? You drew it. So this is an act of faith on your part, but you're in charge of the act. Mm-hmm. So you lord it over that demarcation line. So is it still true faith? It's a kind of, and then here it is um, faith that invo- involves cognition, it involves deliberation. So it is an actus reflexus. Mm-hmm. It is a faith that is dependent on the condition that Bard's mind creates. Okay, so he's saying something like, God would only reveal himself in this way, so therefore, he, this must be God, therefore I can believe in him. Yeah, or he says, God is holy other. Mm-hmm. God reveals only indirectly. We have no access to God. Say what? We have no access to God. How do you know? Yeah. Because I drawn the line. <laughs> okay. You dummies. Yeah. <laughs> and it's very subtle because what Bart does is very lofty and it's very appealing and mm-hmm. it's a genuine rebuttal against German uh, liberalism. And yet, <laughs> young Bonhoeffer in his early 20s, with mm-hmm. the help of Luther, sees the trap and identifies the trap. Even though he loves Bart, and mm-hmm. they continue in their friendship and their mutual reflection and conversation, but this is where something goes wrong. And so, um, um, and, and so, did you already make that do that quote about uh, devotion as? No, not yet. That's what I was going to ask you next. Uh, okay, so, so, Bonhoeffer, I won't talk about that because I, I got the questions, audience. <laughs> I the questions. Spoiler, so, uh, which is good because if you would have just. T- you know, if he would have just started the conversation, uh, I would have been at a loss for words myself because this is really tough uh, material. Um, so the example of Bard shows that 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 that's not genuine faith. It goes back to the problem with Luther. If you uh, craft God into your system, even if that implies that you place God outside of your system and your methodology. It's still the same thing. Your mind does the work before you can get saved, so to so to speak. Mm-hmm. And that's not how it should be. And um, the actus directus is sort of the concept that overcomes this whole idea that we know from our evangelical background. Um, salvation is a, is the gift of faith. So if I believe I'm saved, yeah. If you believe you're saved. Oh, but if I believe I've done the deed of, of believing, so I've saved myself. No, 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 that's not the case. It's salvation by faith, it means like it's not you. Yeah, but I just did it. Mm-hmm. And so th- this concept, actus directus, um, overcomes that because it says, yes, it's an act of faith, if you will. It's an act. All right. Quote, unquote, act. But it is an outward going that, is, that involves self-abandon and its soul's admission of helplessness and it seeks refuge in the promise of God in Christ 
Mm-hmm. And it, does, it doesn't deliberate with itself. Um, am I doing this myself? Am I now creating the condition of my salvation? It doesn't think like that because it's outwardly directed. And it looks at the cross and takes hold of the cross and says, Lord, have mercy. Hmm. Wow. Uh, it, it's, it's starting to click. So this is great. Um, and so in that volume 12 of the Bonhoeffer works, um, that quote that I came across, uh, I'll I'll just read. I'll just tell you the kind of the gist of it. I've sent you before, but for listeners, Bonhoeffer basically he essentially writes that faith is actus directus, and devotion is uh, actus reflexus. Um, and so, in my reading and in kind of understanding of actus directus and reflexus, Bonhoeffer seems to always say the like the actus directus is the good thing. That's faith. Uh, yeah, he he's always going for that, very Lutheran. But he he says here that act, that devotion is actus actus reflexus. How is it actus reflexus? And I think I, I'm uh, kind of comprehending that better now. But um, is devotion a bad thing? Is he against actus reflexus completely? How do, I don't know. How does that work? Yeah, I I think it's an indictment. Um, um, and I think that devotion always turns into a work of self-righteousness and that there is almost no way you can avoid that. Mm. Um, and let me just go track back with Luther. By the way, I'm not a Luther uh, scholar, not a Luther expert. I'm, my knowledge of Luther is sketchy, by the way, but I picked up enough to say the right things about Bonhoeffer, I think, because my yeah. they gave me a pass, right? Um, but with Luther, uh, Luther didn't really have so much with the idea of sanctification. He was not too happy about it. He just believed that every day again, um, it is justification by faith. And why is that? Well, what I sometimes think, and I, I'm I'm very critical of Calvinism and the Calvinistic traditions, even though that's where I come from, but I'm very critical of it. What it seems sometimes is that where medieval theology had put uh, Aristotelian virtue ethics um, before, sort of before the process of salvation, so you do what is in you in order to beg God to save you. There was still salvation by grace, by the way, in scholastic theology. It was God's grace, but there was the virtue ethics that preceded that process. And it seems that in Calvinism, with a strong emphasis on, sanctifi- on uh, uh, sanctification, that a, a, a newer version of virtue ed- ethics, because it was so ingrained in the German peoples, that it found its way back into Calvinism. And now, first there is justification by faith, and then we're going to do Aristotelian virtue ethics. Uh, <coughs> pardon me, <laughs> pardon my French. <laughs> uh, sanctification. <laughs> and so, and if I look at, if I look back at my own evangelical upbringing and my own spirituality, and I'm like. Oops, mm-hmm. it's true. It's true. I always try to be holy, and I found myself always more unholy. Mm-hmm. And so, in the Lutheran tradition, or definitely in Luther's ideas, and even more so, or just as much in Bonhoeffer, sanctification means becoming dirty in and for the world. What do you mean by that? So I don't. Well, it's what is sanctification? Aren't you being sanctified? to be for the world is our sanctification, our, our sort of um, Calvinistic evangelical understanding of sanctification is to become more sinless. And, mm-hmm. 
um, and, and I have not really researched as well enough, so I, had, I, I need to tread carefully, but I think that in Bonhoeffer's thought and in Luther's thought, sanctification means that you become a Christ unto the world. You become a, that, yeah. Luther literally says it, you become a little Christ mm-hmm. for others, and Bonhoeffer in Act and Being, and that's then the argument, we haven't completed the argument of Act and Being yet, I'm not sure if you're going to ask me about it, Ew. but but there the idea is that Christ is God's revelation, that's the theology of the, cro- of mm-hmm. the cross, the, the givenness of God in Christ, but who is Christ? And then he picks from Hegel and he says Christ is um, the church existing uh, no sorry the church is Christ existing existing as community mm-hmm. and he means that literally that community is the given revelation of God Christ in the world so our sanctification is to be for the world to die for the world to be a stellvertreter to give our lives, to stand in for others. Mm-hmm. And by the way, I believe that Acton Being was Bonhoeffer's, he, he, he dug his own grave, so to speak, of his own pride. Mm-hmm. I think that book did him in. You know, after writing that book, he realized the gospel is real and, and, and the demand of Christ upon my life is real. Wow. And so that's, it was after writing that book that he changed. Huh. Wow. Debate, but a few years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, okay. Mind-blowing. It's all making sense, so thank you. You also, so in, in your book, you divide act and being theologies, and I think this is pretty clear just based on your description of fate and idea, um, but you divide act and being theologies according to uh, the terms distance and presence. So I was wondering if you could kind of walk us through distance and presence, how that relates to act and being. Yeah, so I'll be honest with you, Corey. Um, so these terms, would I write the book again? I may, I might not even have gone that route. Hmm. Um, but it's after effect. At the same time, it works. So I was stuck with these two terms, act and being. And then I look at, uh, without knowing how the whole thing works, I was still you know, beginning to write, beginning to do my research. And I was thinking, <clears throat> how does that thing with the theology of the cross, what is that? And what is the basic difference there uh, between Bonhoeffer and Barth? And I realized that the basic difference there is that Barth puts God at a distance in order to retrieve God for theology. Mm -hmm. So kind of a necessary move. Got it. So God is the Holy Other. God only is indirectly available. Why? So that we don't domesticate God, blah, blah, blah. And... um, and then Bard says that is the, that is actually essentially a theology of the cross. Hmm. So he takes the dialectic, or the paradox, let me say, the paradox, the deconstructive part of Luther's theology of the cross, like no to work righteousness, and no to human systems, and he turns that into his theological method that he carries on as he goes after after he describes each doctrine of the Christian of Christian theology. Bonhoeffer says, no, that's not the theology of the cross. The theology of the cross is about presence. And so initially, I sort of uh, paralleled these terms. I had the term act parallel with distance and the term being parallel with presence. And 
kind of still works because Barthes' act theology, his idealistic approach that is sort of in alignment with Kant's program, is to put God at a distance. Kant did it actually to safeguard religious discourse, believe it or not. That's not how evangelicals see him, but that's what Kant's, well, that's what Kant's intention was. And Barth does it too. Hmm. Of course, Barth is not a Kantian completely in the sense that he completely agrees. Then we can only retreat God through uh, ethics, ethical thinking, practical thought. But he kind of aligns himself with Barth in putting God at a distance. And Bonhoeffer um, takes a completely different approach. So um, the theology of the cross can be understood as something that put God at, puts God at a distance. But that only works for Luther at the beginning of the process. And after the process, you're going to focus on the given Christ, the Deus Revelatus, the revealed God, which is Christ, which is the body of Christ on the cross. And um, and then you leave the dialectic behind. Mm-hmm. And so that's what you see return Bonhoeffer, and his focus then is on the body of Christ. That's his realistic approach. Mm-hmm. Got it. Great. So, okay, let's sum all of this up. We have all these uh, pieces of the puzzle. Uh, Let's actually build it. Um, How is Bonhoeffer's theology of the cross present in act and being? So the argument of act and being and how is it uh, a theology of the cross? Right. So we've talked about faith and idea, so we don't need to go there again. um, Bonhoeffer's act and being is a book about theological method. But it is more than uh, just being about theological method. It is, it is secretly a book about the church, too, in, in, as a follow-up to his uh, Sanctorum Communio, his first, uh, his dissert, actual dissertation. Mm-hmm. And so you can really put the books together. It's very interesting. They belong together. Um, and so Bonhoeffer says, okay, there's these two approaches you have uh, in recent theology. You have act approaches idealistic approaches uh, and you have uh, realistic approaches uh, so we talked about those two mm-hmm. uh, basic approaches in German th- let's say German thought <laughs> it's kind of German thought really mm-hmm. um, and so Bonhoeffer kind of wants to safeguard the concern of the act approach like you're not supposed to control God so that's why God is called the holy other and that's why he put this dem- demarcation line between us and God, because we cannot control God. And at the moment, God is available for human thought as something to think about and to analyze and to put together or take apart, then we domesticate God, can't. So act is important, uh, but um, when it comes to being, being is very important as well, because if we say, well, there is nothing in this world that corresponds to God, uh, God is not available to us, um, then we are basically orphaned. Then we have all this beautiful theology and beautiful dialectical approach, but God is simply not available. So what's the point again? Um, so Bonhoeffer criticizes act approaches. He criticizes realistic being approaches. But then ultimately he says, when he touches on Heidegger, and then it's, that's his first treatment of Heidegger, he said, hmm, wouldn't it be interesting? He almost literally says this. Wouldn't it be interesting to see how Heidegger's approach to being and Dasein, how that would work out for the church? Question mark. Next chapter. Something like that. That's how it goes. (laughs) And you know, that's where he's going. 
So Bonhoeffer agrees. If if there is something in this world that that um, uh, uh, that lines up with God, from which we can understand God, we have a problem again, because then again we domesticate God. So we can't have that either. But we need something concrete because if we are simply orphaned in the world, what point is there in being theologians or being Christians? We have nothing, and we have been taught by Luther that Christ is God present among us, that God, that Christ is the, the revealed God. And then Bonhoeffer picks up on his own ecclesiology, his doctrine of the church, and he says, well, and, and um, by the way, he aligns a bit Heidegger, but let me not just go too deeply into Heidegger here. Mm-hmm. Um, let me not go into Heidegger at all. <laughs> it, it's important for the argument, but let me, let me not do it now. Basically, Bonhoeffer says, see, if you look at the church, you can, you're able to coordinate act and being. You're able to bring them together in a very interesting synthesis. You get a very interesting synthesis that safeguards the concerns of both. And so he starts with the church, and he says the church is the community of believers, but it is also Christ existing as community. So what happens in terms of faith along the act, from the act perspective, well, the, the actus directus, you uh, trust in the Lord <clears throat> with your whole heart, and uh, you're justified by faith. It's, it's God's grace given to you in Christ. It's not your own. Mm-hmm. You don't control God. It, you would control God if it was an actus reflexus, but it isn't. So that kind of act is the right kind of act, the act that sort of gives itself away, opens itself up outwardly, as you say. On the being side, well, the moment this person believes and trusts God and is justified, that person, of course, has no inkling who God is or what God is. That person is only trusted in the promise. You will be saved. Call in the name of the Lord. So that person calls on the name of the Lord, is saved, and that person opens their eyes in the new world. And what is that new world? That's the environment of the church, because the church is Christ existing as community. So now all of a sudden this person is part of the community of revelation. So now the question is, who is God? Well, what God is, is something you have to discover together with other believers. It's the praxis of being church that tells you who Christ is. Hmm. And so it's a hermeneutical and self-involving praxis that becomes the process through which uh, you become aware of who God is in Christ and how the world starts seeing Christ in you. Hmm. And that's how he coordinates them. So no wonder, you know, lots of evangelical believers have something with that. (laughs) But in, in the course of his book, he also gives a strong rebuttal against um, being approaches that try to locate something given from Revelation in the world. So he criticizes the Roman Catholic Church because of the apostolic succession. You know, the attempt to say, this is where God is. This is how God comes to us. This is how we know God. Mm-hmm. He also criticizes approaches that locate um, knowledge about God and information from God in the scriptures as such, 
not that he's against the Bible, mm -hmm. not that he wouldn't, wouldn't want to call the Bible the Word of God, mm -hmm. but if that becomes your location for information about God and for what God says, then you have domesticated it. So the only way to know God, to get to know, and when I say God, I mean the revealed God in Christ. The only way to come to know Christ is to participate in the community of believers. Mm -hmm. And so you do Christ, so to speak. You become Christ. You become a Christ. And together with other believers, you become Christ for the world. And that's the basic argument. Hmm. Wow. <laughs> that is... <laughs> mind-blowing um i just finished one of my uh one of my chapters in my thesis uh was about getting back to hearing and doing um he uses that phrase and and ethics and saying that in, in the garden before the fall there was only hearing and doing and then the fall happens and then christ comes and all he does is hear and, and does the will of his father at the uh now by faith and actus directus we can return to hearing and doing. Um, so I was looking through uh, places in his thought where I could kind of point out to, here's places where he says you can hear. It seems that, and I, I didn't plan this question, so so if you don't know the answer or anything, don't worry about it at all. Um, but, uh, so I, I have down um, prayer, reading scripture, those are, these are ways I'm thinking of him saying uh, things like we have to read the scripture against ourselves, that kind of the otherness of God disrupts us, as he would say, Christ the disruptor, and we hear from God so a word that is not our own. Prayer, scripture, preaching, preaching. Yep, that that was that was one, um, and I had one more. Oh, uh, the other that we need, and I guess that that other section would probably fulfill the that role of the church community. Is that right? Okay, cool. The other, that's, that's not the other within the church community. He literally means the other in the world. Okay. Other people are the face of Christ. Got it. Okay. Yeah, okay. Because, yeah, I, I, I was going through uh, Life Together, and he's talking about, like, we need other people to tell us the word of God so that we can hear the word of God. And Okay. <laughs> Great. Thanks for helping me. Yeah, so, so Christ became a marginalized person for the world for the sake of the world mm -hmm. and so Bonhoeffer repeated that that's already in some of the sermons he preached in Barcelona mm -hmm. um, where he and that's very Lutheran where he uh, says that you know we, we meet God in the beggar I'm not sure if he used the word beggar but in the poor people the destitute mm -hmm. uh, because that's a location where God manifests, where Christ manifests, where mm -hmm. the spirit of Christ manifests. So the other becomes for us the face of God, an, an address, a call uh, to responsibility. Excellent. Great. Well, thanks for helping me with my homework. Um, <laughs> and, and thank you. Yeah, but that's not, this is not my specialism. So I'm sure some other Bonhoeffer scholar might be able to improve on that one <laughs> it's all good yeah i'm uh, take any help i can get uh, great well thank you so much for writing this i have one last question for you um this is sort of a fun one that i ask everyone at the end of our our time together if you were trapped on a desert island and were allowed to take one book by bonhoeffer and a secondary source on bonhoeffer so anything a biography a book on theology something like your book you know any anything uh, just not by him uh, what two books would you take? Oh, man. 
See, I had an answer and I forgot the answer. <laughs> Which, you got to say act in being, right? What's that? You got to say act in being, right? For his for his book. Yeah, but I might take ethics. Yeah, it's a good one. I, I might take ethics. Um, and a book about Bonhoeffer. Um, See, see, I know acting being well enough, so what's the point of bringing it along? <laughs> sure. And so I, I would really like to have a book by the mature Bonhoeffer then uh, to compliment. Because in my recent reading, I realized, oh, man, I I was really stuck in the young Bonhoeffer here in my thinking. And hmm. I discover a lot of new stuff now. So, oh, wow. yeah, I would like to have a mature Bonhoeffer. Um, and I know the passages from the prison letters quite well um, about religionless Christianity. Um, so I think I would go with ethics and a book about Bonhoeffer uh, wouldn't be Metaxas. Um, <laughs> nope. <laughs> um, I think I would, I might take uh, Charles Marsh's uh, biography of um, Bonhoeffer with me. Yeah. Or, or I have to say the, the Ferdinand Schlingensieben is also a very beautiful biography. Hmm. Yeah, I've I've read uh, Marsh's and you know, it's it's my favorite biography that I've read, um, but I haven't read the Schlingensieben one, and that's the one that I'll, I've had. Everyone either says the Betka biography or those two, um, so I'm planning on working through those uh, once once homework <laughs> quiets down a yeah. little bit. Uh, but great, thank you. This book is so so helpful and has helped me a ton in understanding it and, and especially just our conversations. I appreciate you taking the time to do this. Uh, yeah, it's been great. Well, thanks for having me, Corey. And uh, please let me know when the, when the thing comes online. Uh, that'd be fun. And I'll yeah. check out your podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm glad to do that. Um, I'll, I'll be sure to send you out a link when, it, when it's all up and done. But other than that, um, I think that we're all set. So again, thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Bonhoeffer Podcast, and thank you to Dr. DeKaiser for coming on. You can find his book, Bonhoeffer's Theology of the Cross, at www.morzebeck.com. If you like what you hear, please leave a review on your podcast app, and it will help others find the show. I hope you enjoyed this as much as I did, and as always, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.